What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. I was trying to figure out a way to talk to y'all about the experience that I just had uh, taking my daughter on a whirlwind trip of Europe over the holiday break when I was in college um, some two odd decades ago. <clears throat> I went to London for a short period of time uh, to study at the National Royal Theatre Studio. And when the fellowship was over, I sent home anything I couldn't fit in a backpack and took off across Europe by myself. I never planned ahead. I stayed at hostels. I never linked up with a crew to travel with. And I felt safe. For the most part, I was sexually assaulted in Paris and um, in San Sebastian, Spain, it was made very clear to me that my skin color was a bit of an issue, but I never felt in danger because I was black. Just your regular run-of-the-mill anti-blackness, you know, the kind we deal with in America every single day. Flash forward 20 some odd years later, I take my child to Europe, hitting almost all the same exact cities and countries I had as a college student, Amsterdam, Paris, Italy, uh, went to Rome this time instead of Florence, London, and a couple of others that were new. Now, for the last almost you know eight, seven, eight years that I've been on the air, I've been following and covering the rise of fascist governments and the reemergence of white supremacist groups as political forces in Europe on this very station. For some reason, none of this came to mind as I planned my vacation with my child. And y'all, the anti-blackness that we experienced there was the most intense direct and terrifying that I have ever experienced in my life, even in the deep South. Italy uh, was so bad that my daughter started to refuse to leave the hotel room. We felt felt targeted, we felt unsafe. And about halfway through the trip, uh, I connected the dots and I changed the way we were moving. Heads on swivels, alert, never going outside alone. Our last night at the Marriott at the Heathrow Airport, a place where right folks come from all over the world, a waiter that worked there demanded that I prove I was staying there before he would tell me where the bathroom was. He demanded it five different times, each time raising his voice higher and higher until finally, the cat broke something you know very well, screamed at him to get away from me and I started to walk away. He followed and made a futile attempt to grab my arm, trust that we are both glad that he missed my experience is not unique. I've since, uh, re- you know, since I returned, I've spoken with several black folks who have had similar experience throughout Europe. So I wanted to talk about the political landscape there. And here to discuss uh, is Terry E. Givens, currently a professor of political science at McGill University and the author of books and articles on immigration policy, anti-discrimination politics, and comparative race politics. In the roots of racism, the politics of white supremacy in the U.S. and Europe, Terry E. Givens examines the connections between immigration policy policy and racism that have contributed to the rise of anti-immigrant radical right parties in Europe, the rise of Trumpism in the United States, and the Brexit vote in the UK. Good morning, Terry. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining. I uh, was really glad to see you with the guests that we got. Um, Terry, I, one of the things that I figured out, right, as, as we were walking around is that the anti-blackness that we were experiencing was indeed because at first glance, what they assumed was that we were African immigrants. And so I'm wondering if you can talk about, right, yeah. the influx of African refugees into some of these European countries, let's say, right, of sub-Saharan uh, African immigrants in Italy in 2016 and how that has fed um, ignited 
fueled a fire um, of right-wing extremism in some of these countries. Yeah, and what I would start off by saying, first of all, I'm sorry for the experience you had, and I can say that I've had my own experiences in Europe, but um, this has been a long time coming, and it's not necessarily new, but what's changed is the political landscape. And, and really what we've seen not only in, and the reason I write about U.S. and Europe is because they're feeding each other, right? The political situation is, is, is feeding itself on itself, both in the U.S. and Europe. And what it's done is given people permission to be more racist, be very openly racist. Um, you saw what you saw in Italy is related to the most recent election there where you have neo-fascists coming into office and so on. So. Um, what we're it's it's been this influx, but it's not even necessarily connected to the actual numbers of immigrants coming. It's more connected to the attitudes that have shifted and the rise of these far right parties across Europe that are feeding into existing biases and giving people, you know, even though they might be a relative minority, people the permission to act like the waiter did in that restaurant and and not feel. Uh, but, we're, you know, we see this in lots of many, many other places, including Canada and the U.S. Right. Um, if we could, I'd like to walk through some of the countries that have elected uh uh, right-wing folks to to lead. Uh, let's just stick with Italy for a second and talk a little bit about mm-hmm. Giorgia Maloney of the Brothers of Italy Party, Italy's first female prime mm-hmm. minister. Um, and, and, and the way that folks are describing her is that the expectation is that she's going to form the most right-wing government since Mussolini. Yeah, exactly. And She's really coming out of the tradition, even though she's not connected to Berlusconi, but, you know, it's, it goes back to that as well. But, um, you know, it's really frightening to see that this is the party that is forming the government um, and that they are very much in alignment with what uh, this far right uh, authoritarian type of, of uh, populism that is on the rise in Europe. And so, you know, it's still uh, where we're still waiting to see what kinds of policies they're going to pursue, but certainly anti-immigrant sentiment is a huge component of this, and I can expect that we will see more restrictive policies towards immigrants. But to, you know, to get back to the issue we we're just discussing, it's like I said, it's also but the the uh, election of this party is also um, giving people the idea that hey, it's okay to be racist, to be anti-immigrant more openly. Right. And there's a similar trend in Spain with the rise of the Vox Party, who was not only anti-immigrant, but also anti the LGBTQ community, anti-laws that protect women from domestic violence. Uh, And then in France, we've got the National Front now called the National Rally, led by Marie Le Pen, uh, who just got historic uh, success, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Mm -hmm. They're now the second largest party in parliament. How is all yeah. of this going? Yeah, just if you, you could just respond to that. And then I think the second piece of my question is about the anti-European Union sentiment that these right-wing uh, governments have and what that could possibly mean. Yeah, I think it's important to, to speak briefly, at least, about Marine Le Pen because she's Please. been on the rise for quite a while. And... Um, She's, you know, she's a very scary because what she's done is shifted. And I've been following this party since the late 90s. And what she's been able to do and, and what's happened with a lot of these parties is they've shifted from the extremes to the mainstream. 
So as you said, you know, they're the second largest party and they become a regular electable mainstream party. You know, when I first started studying these parties, they, they were considered on the extremes. They, they, you know, they weren't electable, et cetera. But now, you know, Marine Le Pen's party is getting large numbers of, of elected uh, members of the assembly and so on. And, um, you know, what this trend is showing is it's, it's a bit of a backlash to the, um, you know, what we saw in the early 2000s of trying to be more open to immigrants and multiculturalism and so on. And so this backlash has, is, is not only on the, the right, though, it's, it's on the left as well. Um, and then as far as the anti-EU sentiment, um, you know, that really came to fruition with Brexit, which was really based around anti-immigrant sentiment and, and racism on the part of the Brexiteers, as they call themselves. Can can you say more uh, about the Brexit referendum and and its play in spurring yes. these political conditions, please? I, I I don't I don't know that we fully grasp that here in America. No, I, I don't think we really have to. I mean, <laughs> and even though you know it was happening around, you know, it's so funny. I remember the summer of twenty sixteen. We were all saying, "Oh, you know, Brexit." You know, hopefully the U.S. and then we, you know we turn right around and elect Donald Trump, um, right. but. Uh, Brexit basically was um, a big pushback from the Conservative Party that had been, you know, even though, it, first of all, keep in mind, Britain only joined the EU in 1973, you know, later than most countries, and has always been, you know, in, in some ways in conflict with the EU, with the continent. You know, it's kind of the UK is this you know, island over here in, in the continent, which was much more pro-EU. And, you know, so... Basically, you had far right in really mainstream conservative slash Tory politicians taking advantage of the anti-EU sentiment that was coming because of the influx of intra-EU immigrants, people from mostly from Eastern Europe. And I remember going to London, you know, around 2008 or so, and um, seeing how many people from Eastern Europe were working everywhere, you know, in your Starbucks and, uh, you know, in your, yeah. your uh, restaurants and, and stores. And, um, you know, in London, that was fine. But outside of London, that was, you know, turning into anti-intra-EU sentiment, despite the fact that so many British people were going to Portugal and Spain with their summer cottages and things like that. And so this, you know, but basically you just had very opportunistic politicians taking advantage of this anti-intra-EU sentiment, anti-Eastern European sentiment, and turning it into a referendum, which they promised all kinds of things that are now people are like, wow, you know, we've lost so much. I mean, the, the UK economy is in a steep decline because of the fact that they went through with Brexit and people didn't take in, you know, they were so focused on the immigration issue, they didn't take into account the economic impact. And yet and still, you know, these governments in Spain, Italy, um, uh, France, uh, should they gain enough power, um, they too could hold referendums and exit the EU. And that's a real possibility, yeah? Yeah, it is a possibility, although I think they're, one would hope they're learning from the UK example. I mean, Italy has always been a very pro-EU country because they get so much benefit from it. So, you know, the thing is, one of the things that they were able to, able to play on in the case of the UK, besides the xenophobia and the anti-immigrant sentiment, is the fact that, you know, they felt like they were very strong. You know, they was always, just, oh, we're going to go out and 
have our own um, trade relationships with the U.S. and, and other countries, and, and that hasn't worked out so well with the, for them. And so countries like Italy that are extremely dependent on the EU are less likely to be able to get a referendum through, but they're certainly causing problems for the EU, in the sense, especially on the immigration front, because of um, you know that kind of growing anti-EU sentiment around things like free movement. So I see, think what would happen before you see a Brexit, a Brexit type situation in these countries is, you know, the cutting off of free movement um, that we've been able to take advantage of as tourists, right? You don't have to show your passport anymore when you, you are on that train and crossing into Italy from France and so on. Terry Egevins, you and other experts, you know, that I've have re- been reading uh, about, you know, say say the same thing. This did not just happen, right? It's not like an, all of a sudden um, there's the the elect the election of these these right wing governments. If you could go back, how far would you go back? And, and in addition to anti immigration sentiment, what are the other conditions or events that you would point to to say this is how we got here? You know, what's interesting is I always go back to um, the election of Bill Clinton, Tony Blair, and Gerhard Schröder in Germany. And the reason for that is these were very neoliberal politicians who said, you know, we need to be more market-oriented. And, you know, they, they actually helped to deconstruct the welfare state. So, you know, Bill Clinton said, okay, well, well, if you're a permanent resident, you don't immediately get access to, you know, welfare benefits and so on. Um, You know, Gerhard Schroeder, you know, really pushed people to, um, you know, get off welfare. And, you know, they all three of them undercut unions. Um, And, you know, I think that's where a lot of the strength, because basically you had these three politicians and. You know, I remember very clearly being at a party congress for the Austrian Freedom Party, a very far right party. And, you know, Jörg Haider, the leader of that party, was quoting these three politicians saying, look, you know, they're taking on our ideas. And so, um, you know, in a sense, I'm, and I don't want to give the, the right a pass on this, but really I feel like those three politicians in the 1990s and early, you know, into the early 2000s created a, a situation where the left was being undermined. You know, the idea of the welfare state, the idea that we take care of people. Um, and so as people began to suffer, you know, we saw the, the decline in wages, things like that. It, it opened up the door to these far right politicians to say, look, see, these politicians aren't doing anything for you. You alluded uh, to this next question earlier. I, I had it written down for a little later in the interview, but I, I was hoping you could now expand a bit on the the idea that what is happening here in America and what is happening in Europe, how, how these two are feeding each other and, and what is the most concerning about that? Well, the easiest way to look at it is the, the money. So you have mm-hmm. money from elements in the U.S., going to these politicians in Europe, money from Russia. You know, it's so funny how Russia, you know, obviously we're focused on the war in Ukraine, but Russia has been an agent provocateur, as you might might want to say, in this going back many years. And so I actually tried to bring attention to this back in around 2014 when I was still at the University of Texas at Austin. And we had a conference on this connection between at the time, it was focused on anti-Islam sentiment because you had these people in the U.S. who were very actively engaged with people like your builders in the Netherlands. And, you know, 
And then under Trump, this became even more open and blatant um, with, you know, far right leaders being welcomed at U.S. embassies. Um, And so, I mean, it's it's mind blowing to me that we have not. I'm I'm one of the few people who's really focusing in on this connection um, and that this is a huge danger to democracy. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm. You're gonna help us zero in on it uh, here on this show too, because um, I, I think this is something that we've got to continue to follow, and talk about. Terry, I've, I've only got two minutes left for for this conversation, um, but you're def- we're definitely gonna ask you to come back. What is the path forward? Because b- the failure of the left, both in in the in the terms of what you were talking about, but also like you you look in Italy, right? They they fail to to coalesce um, mm-hmm. here in America. We mm-hmm. continue to fail to coalesce uh, to to have winning strategies. What is the path forward to interrupting these trends? I'm sorry, you got like 90 seconds for a very complicated answer. <laughs> yes, well, it's okay. The left needs to basically say we are about caring for people. We are going to make sure wages rise. We're going to support unions. You know, all of these things that have been, you know, the things we, we that people on the left really held on to in the past, we need to go back to that and get away from this neoliberalism that's undermining um, everybody. You know, in the black radical tradition, uh, we, we got a saying, liberalism kills. And I will leave it yes. there. Terry E. Givens, thank you so much for your work and for joining us this morning. My pleasure. Thank you. Terry E. Givens is currently a professor of political science at McGill University and the author of books and articles on immigration policy, anti-discrimination politics, and comparative race politics. In The Roots of Racism, The Politics of White Supremacy in the U.S. and Europe, Terry E. Givens examines the connections between immigration policy and racism that have contributed to the rise of anti-immigrant radical right-wing parties in Europe, the rise of Trumpism in the U.S., and the Brexit vote in the U.K. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox 5. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam.